You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Russia opens a general war against Ukraine with rocket fires, heavy forces, and a not-so-veiled threat to NATO. Cyber operations are serving as combat support and strategic disruption. While the war in Ukraine dominates the news, elsewhere in the world, cybercrime and cyber espionage continue at their customary levels. Carol Terrio looks to the security of your mobile devices, and our guest is Dr. Chenzi Wang of Rain Capital with insights on the new NIST software supply chain security standards. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, February 24th, 2022. Russia declares war and begins a general offensive against Ukraine. Russian President Putin said he had authorized a special military operation. Its objectives, he said, are the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine, but not its occupation. Denazification will be baffling for any who haven't followed the crisis closely. One of the principal talking points in the long-running Russian disinformation campaign is that the Ukrainian government is composed of actual, unreconstructed neo-Nazis. This particular claim is intended for domestic consumption and isn't taken seriously abroad. Mr. Putin said that the breakaway provinces of Donetsk and Luhansk had asked for Russian aid and that Russia's intervention was designed to prevent what he's variously described as a humanitarian catastrophe and genocide. The invasion kicked off at 5 a.m. Kiev time. Mr. Putin also warned the world to keep their hands off Ukraine. He said, quote, Now a few important, very important words for those who may be tempted to intervene in ongoing events from the outside. Whoever tries to interfere with us, and even more so to create threats to our country, to our people, should know that Russia's response will be immediate and will lead you to such consequences as you have never experienced in your history. We are ready for any development of events. All necessary decisions in this regard have been made. 
I hope that I will be heard, end quote. Some have seen this as a veiled threat of nuclear war, and while that seems unlikely, the strategic force exercises Russia held over the weekend do seem to have been intended to suggest that possibility to NATO. President Putin had a message for Ukrainian troops as well. Lay down your arms, and if you do so, you'll be allowed to return home. Ukrainian President Zelensky late Wednesday broadcast an appeal for peace to the Russian people, Speaking in Russian, he said, The people of Ukraine and the government of Ukraine want peace, but if we come under attack, if we face an attempt to take away our country, our freedom, our lives, and the lives of our children, we will defend ourselves. When you attack us, you will see our faces, not our backs. Quote. He had earlier sought to contact President Putin, but Mr. Putin didn't take his call. The U.S. had warned yesterday, continuing its recent policy of unusual transparency with respect to intelligence products, that a full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine was expected within 48 hours. In fact, the invasion arrived in less than 24 hours. Each hour for the general Russian attack was 5 a.m. Thursday in Kiev, which was 10 p.m. Wednesday in New York, and at that time the U.N. Security Council was in session discussing the crisis— the New York Times reports that Sergei Kislitsya, in an emotional speech at the United Nations Security Council, held up his phone and asked the Russian ambassador if he wanted to see a video of President Putin announcing a military attack on his country. Kislitsya said, You declare war and it is the responsibility of this body to stop the war. I call on every one of you to do everything possible to stop the war, or should I play the video of your president declaring the war? The Russian ambassador replied, This is not called a war. It is called a special military operation in Donbass. Russia was chairing the session. It was Russians' turn to do so. And the Ukrainian ambassador rose to demand that the Russian ambassador relinquish the rotating presidency. Directly addressing the Russian ambassador, he said, There is no purgatory for war criminals. They go straight to hell, ambassador. After a pause, the Russian ambassador answered, we aren't being aggressive against the Ukrainian people, but against the juncture of power in Kiev. And then he gaveled the meeting to a close. Late last night at about 10.30 p.m., U.S. President Biden condemned the Russian attack. Quote, President Putin has chosen a premeditated war that will bring a catastrophic loss of life and human suffering. Russia alone is responsible for the death and destruction this attack will bring, and the United States and its allies and partners will respond in a united and decisive way. The world will hold Russia accountable. End quote. A few hours later, he posted an account of a call with President Zelensky. Quote, President Zelensky reached out to me tonight, and we just finished speaking. I condemned this unprovoked and unjustified attack by Russian military forces. I briefed him on the steps we are taking to rally international condemnation, including tonight at the United Nations Security Council. He asked me to call on the leaders of the world to speak out clearly against President Putin's flagrant aggression and to stand with the people of Ukraine. Tomorrow, I will be meeting with the leaders of the G7, and the United States and our allies and partners will be imposing severe sanctions on Russia. We will continue to provide support and assistance to Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. End quote. President Biden is expected to announce more sanctions against Russia, probably this afternoon. 
He is said to have spent the morning in consultation with allies, specifically with G7 leaders, which suggests a fundamentally economic set of sanctions, and his national security staff. Ukraine's Minister of Digital Transformation, Mikhailo Fyodorov, said yesterday that yesterday afternoon, large distributed denial-of-service attacks began against Ukrainian banks and government websites. ESET says its researchers found a wiper deployed against Ukrainian targets about two hours after the DDoS attacks began. ESET is calling for convenience the destructive malware Hermetic Wiper, as it was signed with a certificate from the Cypriot company Hermetica Digital. Reuters says it's been unable to find out very much about Hermetica Digital beyond its apparent founding a year or so ago. Sentinel-1 has also confirmed that Hermetic Wiper is in active use. Reuters also reports that Symantec has said the attack has also had some effects in Latvia and Lithuania. Now that the Russian war against Ukraine is fully kinetic, cyber operations will probably assume a significant combat support role. The threat is not only a terrestrial one. Breaking defense reports that Chris Scalise, director of the National Reconnaissance Office, said yesterday, quote, I think it's fair to assume that to the extent that Russia can and to the extent that they feel it won't extend the conflict out of their control, they will extend it into space. How are they going to do that? What are they going to do? I mean, you could imagine they're already doing GPS jamming, as an example, and doing things against Ukraine. I would say for everybody that the important thing is to go off and make sure that your systems are secure and that you're watching them very closely, because we know that the Russians are effective cyber actors. He added that it's better to be prepared than be surprised. Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 released a report on an advanced persistent threat that's prospecting companies in the technology, energy, healthcare, education, finance, and defense sectors. The researchers call the campaign Twisted Temple, and it's noteworthy for a sophisticated method it's using to maintain persistence in its targets. Quote, A custom backdoor, SOC Detour, is designed to serve as a backup backdoor in case the primary one is removed. It is difficult to detect since it operates filelessly and socketlessly on compromised Windows servers. End quote. More than a dozen organizations have been affected. Armor Blocks reports that a criminal phishing campaign impersonating DocuSign is in progress. The link in the malicious email takes the victim to a phishing page designed to collect Microsoft Outlook credentials. Armor Blocks points out that the campaign bears several features that most likely to succeed phishing attempts have. It spoofs known workflows and impersonates a trusted product to do so. Its social engineering engenders both trust and a sense of urgency, and it uses valid domains. CSO sees a lesson in a recent court case. Beware of tempting but illicit business intelligence tools. The fact that spyware is available and that it seems readily adaptable to your business intelligence challenges doesn't mean that using it is even a good idea, still less that it's even legal. For example, suppose you really wanted to eavesdrop on your competitor's phone calls. Not that you would, but just suppose. As much as you might counterfactually want to listen in, don't. It's bad law, bad morals, and bad business. And finally, as a community, consider sparing a thought for colleagues in beleaguered Ukraine. We received an email this morning from MacPaw, whose Mac Cleaner product you may know. They're based in Kiev, 
and for now at least, they say they're safe and riding out the invasion in place. Those of us who aren't under rocket fire are lucky ducks indeed. Take care of yourselves, Mac Paw, and our sincere wishes for the safety of all those in peril on the ground. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. NIST recently published updated software supply chain security guidelines as part of an executive order from the White House aiming to improve the nation's cybersecurity. Dr. Chenzi Wang is a technical advisory board member at Secure Code Warrior and a managing partner at Rain Capital Fund LP, a cybersecurity-focused venture fund. She thinks NIST's new guidelines are a step in the right direction. I know they stressed the importance of uh, SBOM, software supply chain security, uh, which is one that I think really needs the industry to focus on. Um, this has been in the works for many, many years, meaning that many of us has been out preaching importance of this. But for NIST to really push, issue a guidance, say, hey, thou shalt do this, and for uh, the um, executive office to follow up with more um, fuel on the fire in the executive order, I think that would really drive the industry towards um, the adoption and the standards behind it. So that's one. And I also, um, the theme is, uh, you know, engineering trustworthy secure systems, right? Really um, outlines uh, the proactive approach of it. So security, if you think about it, in the in the past, historically has been a reactive sector of our operations, right? So something's wrong and security team pulls logs and, and does forensics, does investigation. But we have done, I would say, maybe somewhat a poor job of 
being proactive, preparing our organizations for potential threats and for the risks that's uh, more modern day risks. So this um, guideline really ask us to be more proactive in our risk management, in our risk appetite, including, you know, sort of a a proactively mitigating vulnerabilities within systems and software and and using something like software uh, supply chain risk as a lens to eliminate risk from entering our system to being with. So I, I think it requires, it sort of asks us to adopt a new mindset more proactive, more holistic mindset towards cybersecurity. Are you optimistic that uh, the release of, of, of these sorts of guidelines could really make a, a meaningful difference, that we could really see it move the needle? So um, when you ask this question to security industry people, you'll get two very distinct answers. You will see a lot of, um, oh, this is not going to help. You know, this is like barely scratching the surface. And I think security industry folks are trained to be a little bit pessimistic <laughs> uh, in their view of the world. Um, I'm the opposite. I'm always the cheerleader for for guidelines such as this because I see pushing the industry forward in a positive direction, even though when we get there, it may be only 70% what we need to do. It's still a positive step in the right direction. Now, there will be a lot of nuances, right? Some some companies will spend a lot of money, a lot of resources, not quite getting there, or others will be confused what exactly they want to do. There's always room for improvement for how prescriptive the guideline should be or how clear the guideline should be. But overall, if you take a, a 50,000 foot view, it's a good thing for the industry. It's a good thing for organizations, good thing for consumers. That's Dr. Chenzi Wang from Rain Capital. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Our UK correspondent Carol Terrio has been considering the security of mobile devices as of late, and today she joins us with the first of a two-part report. According to Statista, in 2021, the number of mobile devices operating worldwide stood at almost 15 billion, up a billion from the previous year. Now, if you think that the population is 7.9 billion, that's almost two devices per human on the planet. Apparently, half the smartphone users in the U.S. will spend five to six hours on their phones every single day. Before you say that this includes work, and of course you need to use your phone for work, 
this number excludes work-related smartphone use. Just 5%, five out of 100 people said they spend less than an hour a day on their smartphones. So it's clear, we are smartphone addicts. As it's now a brand new year, shouldn't we take a few minutes to make sure the device is a little bit more secure than it was last year? In cybersecurity, of course, every schmidge of security counts. So I'm going to quickly list a few things you can check on your phone to make it a bit more secure. And if these are all in place for you, then woohoo for you. Your job is now to get out there and get someone in your life, your teen, your mom, your uncle Fred, Susan at work, to implement these as well on their device. Or of course, you could just, I guess, share this podcast episode and save yourself a bit of time. First up, New Year Clear Out. You know it's really handy when you get a new device and you can import all your old data and apps across from your old device with the click of a few buttons. But there is a cost to this frictionless approach. All these legacy apps could be sitting there on your phone, not only just taking up space, but maybe also hoovering up data from your phone without you even realizing it. And My advice is to get rid of the apps from your phone that you do not use regularly. Just delete them from your device. For example, I had LinkedIn and Pinterest on my phone for a while. I used them and then I used them less and less because I found them annoying. And when I noticed this, I removed them. The thing is, they're not gone forever as I've not deleted my user account. I have just deleted the app from my phone. So as long as I remember the password... I can reinstall them on my phone and log in and everything is back to normal. My point is, is think of apps like clothes. There are those you don't need regularly. And what you do is you put them in storage and you dust them off when you need them. You know, I have a few other things for you guys to check, but I've run out of time. So I am going to make a part two. Watch this space. This was Carol Terrio for the CyberWire. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. 
That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 